0: Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Looking at God from ground zero. This is the title to a chapter of a book that I recently read in preparing for today. The author of which starts off by telling an interaction of two coworkers on that faithful morning of September 11th, 2001. As the terrorist Attacks unfolded before our eyes. These two people gathered in an office space with other co-workers around a television and as the second tower of the World Trade Center fell, one turned to the other and said, so much for your God. As I tried to remember those days after 9-11, what I remember is we saw a rising up of unity in our country, better yet as a people. A unity that we had not experienced, I would say, in quite a long time maybe even 50 years or so. Attendance at church skyrocketed in the weeks that followed, but just as quickly plummeted. Also seemingly, there was a fracture that began in that time that I think still persists in our culture today. A fracture in politics, a fracture in the church, and it is God who remains on trial. We hear each day of events, either in people's lives or in grander scales like school shootings or like huge natural disasters like we're hearing out of California right now. And they can send us spiraling in the question, Where is God? And I cringe each time I hear this. Because the reality of it is, we're never going to get an answer to that question in the way that we want to hear it. And this is again where the placations begin. God's ways are not our ways. As I took notice or was thinking about this text for this week and this sermon, as I drove through 41st and Minnesota Avenue this weekend, our free thinkers even have us thinking that we're on our own. Prayer does not work. It all sounds a little Job-like or in light of our text for today, a little Naomi-like. Today we begin to work our way through this book of Ruth and we encounter this character of Naomi that I have been charged with focusing in on today. Naomi is the matriarch of her family and we hear that Naomi has fulfilled her role in the family as a mother and a wife. But due to famine, this Israelite family that was living in Bethlehem is now forced to go to Moab, an outlaw land in the view of the Israelites. Out of necessity to survive, And out of that necessity, they become foreigners. To say there was disdain between the Israelite people and the Moabites is a complete understatement. Though not pointed out in our text, the Moabite people were the ancestral descendants of the incestuous union between Abraham's nephew Lot and his own daughters. So for the Israelites to go to this land and to this people was a huge deal. This time of famine was an especially dark period for the Israelites. This was the time of the judges, which means it was beyond the glory days of Moses and Joshua and coming into the promised land. But since entering the promised land for 400 years, it was fraught with disobedience to God and God bringing his wrath in response. We are told that in that time, the people neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for his people and that the people regularly did what was right in their own eyes. In their separation from God, the Israelite people began to worship idols of their neighboring cultures and began to adopt pagan ways, and catastrophic judgments followed. Military invasions, government collapses, oppression, and yes, famines. While in Moab, life takes an abrupt turn as Naomi's husband dies. Hurling Naomi into a pattern of grief that would endure her whole life. The death of a spouse is hard enough to bear, but this death had occurred while she was a foreigner in a foreign land. But Naomi still has hope in her two sons. These two boys are now the future for the family and their glory. But the sons marry Moabite women, not exactly those that any good Israelite parent would want their sons to bring home, but yet hope exists. And then tragedy takes the final swing, and we're told the two sons die. But now there are also no children or grandchildren to carry on the line. Naomi's life has gone from bad to worse, and now it is these three widows who stand together that face what lies ahead. This opening section of the book of Ruth is referred to as the emptying of Naomi. She has been forced to live as a foreigner in an outland amongst people she didn't quite get along with. She had lived in Bethlehem full with security and hope and in a culture that would have placed honor on her for her role in the family. And now, life had been gutted. She was at ground zero. The collapse of Naomi's world had come had not come in one fell swoop, but over the course of time. So what was Naomi thinking as she sifted through the ruins of her life, contemplating the God she had believed in her whole life? In that time, the events of her life would have been understood as a curse from God, that God had removed his hand from her. If life was good, you were living under God's favor, but if your life had struggled, God had turned against you. For some reason, some sin that you had committed, something you had done wrong, or something even your parents had done wrong. And she knew the hard hand of God. Naomi hears that the famine has left in Bethlehem, and so she sets off with her daughters-in-law to return to Bethlehem. And along the way, Naomi bids them to go back to Moab, to return to their homes, to their culture, to their people, where at least there was a glimmer of hope for these two young women. Naomi says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And she focuses in the first on her womb. Have I yet sons in my womb that you may have husbands? In other words, Naomi has them nothing to offer. Her condition is worse than theirs. If they try to be faithful to her and to the name of their husbands, they will find nothing but pain and hardship. And burden. And so she concludes at the end of verse 13 Know, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. In other words, don't come with me because God is against me. Your life may be as bitter as mine. But interestingly, in that moment, she invokes a blessing on these two young women. At first, both daughters resist her pleas, and finally it is Orpah that turns back, but not Ruth. We are told that Ruth clings to Naomi, and that it is in this first chapter that we hear that great confession where Ruth confesses her amazing devotion to Naomi, that she clings to her, even after Naomi has cursed her own God and blamed him for her own situation Ruth could have easily said, so much for your God, but she didn't. And we are told that Naomi changes her name after she returns to Bethlehem because of her bitterness towards God. When we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. And we can become bitter also, usually not seeing the little rays of light popping through the darkness in our lives. It was God who broke the famine. It was God who created the opportunity to go home to a people that she knew and that knew her. It is God who will preserve a kinsman to continue Naomi's line. And it was God who constrained Ruth to Naomi and the blessing that Ruth would bring. But Naomi is so embittered by God's providence that she can't see his mercy at work in the darkness of her life. Naomi complains that she returns empty, not recognizing the blessing of going home, not recognizing that Ruth is with her. Now next week we will take up the character of Ruth, which is the usual focus of this text. Naomi's suffering is usually used as a prop to kind of serve up this story that is to come, the love story yet to come. But I think if we move too quickly past this character of Naomi, Naomi, We can easily miss a very powerful message for us, our own struggle with God and our own inability to trust in his promises. As we hear of this story of adversity, you may be reminded of the dark and hard parts of your life, parts that you struggle to understand or parts that you have a hard time finding relief from. And like most, you might just set these things aside, push them to the fringes of your mind or up to your existence, but maybe today, in Naomi's plight, you hear struggles of your own. And so often, when we find ourselves struggling or encounter a friend or a coworker that is struggling, we want to move past that as quickly as we can. We find that being in that place is rather uncomfortable. Now, we would like to think that this lesson would reveal. Naomi's great faith has a rugged foundation. That she would endure this adversity and she would stand firm and that she would make this great confession in her God that she praises God from ground zero. But as we read this text, like me, maybe you also are a little bit disheartened as you hear her outbursts against God. However, the decimated Naomi has not given up faith in her God she still looks to him for her providence. Even for a measure of blessing. We are uncomfortable in grief. And especially when we were invited into the grief of another. And so we often say things or do things to try and bring the situation past that grief point. To make the situation immediately better. The story of Naomi shows the dichotomy that we often put between grief and hope. We think if there's hope, it cancels out grief, and that's not the case. The story of Naomi shows us that there is something to be learned as we sit in these griefs and we struggle and we look. And where does God show up? There is a deep understanding of God drawn from the book of Ruth called Hesed. Hesed cannot be translated into one English word, it is a bigger concept than that. But this single Hebrew word tries to encompass all of the positive attributes of God love, promise, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness favor, devotion, and loyalty. These go beyond the expectations of duty. They go beyond the expectation of love. And it is especially in adversity that God is known in his chesed. And deep down, it is in the struggles of life where faith will ultimately reveal itself. God is at work in the worst of times. He is with you at ground zero. And when you begin to think he's farthest from you or you begin to think that he has turned against you, the truth is he is right where he has promised to be. However, sometimes, somehow, we convince ourselves that we need to be more mature in faith, that we must be completely resilient to adversity, that struggle somehow shows a failure of faith and that our belief in God should never be shaky. But the reality is that is not scriptural. We see this all over the Bible. And it gets in the way from us fully knowing and experiencing the God who actually pursues us in our suffering. The God that holds true to his promise for us And to us. Because God sent his own son into this fallen world. Into a world that does not know him. Into a world that does right in its own eyes. And he dies for it. And still claims you as his own. Now I'm not going to stand here and try to make the story of Naomi a feel good story. It isn't. But God sent his son so that we would know that in burdens and struggles that out of death actually comes new life. And God actually shows us this in the life of his son. Jesus did not live a life without burden. He did not live a life that wasn't oppressed. He did not live a life that didn't have loss and pain. But in the end, in the depths of those experiences, Christ always turned to his father. He believed in the promises that God had given him. Not always perfectly, might I remind you the Garden of Gethsemane, but he trusted in the will and purposes of God, and you are called to do the same. You will experience great joy in this life, and you will experience tremendous pain and tremendous loss in this life. And God is present exactly where he needs to be and where he tells you he is. And that is in his son. Sent for you and for me so that when faith is a little shaky, you may cling to Christ alone. To the promises that you were given in your own baptism, that Christ also even actually forgives you for thinking that he has abandoned you in those moments. Jesus Christ is God's said, for you, his great love for you, his loyalty to you, his promise to you, and from that comes forgiveness of sin and new life. For Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are not on our own. Christ shows up. Thanks be to God. Amen.